This episode's guest is Paddy Roach. Paddy is the Head Academy Strength and Conditioning Coach for Arsenal Football Club, a position he has held now for the last three seasons. For three years prior to this, he was the lead under-9 to under-16 coach and was instrumental in the development and implementation of a physical development framework for the academy. Currently, he leads the physical development program for the under-18 and under-23 squads and works alongside three strength and conditioning coaches to implement an industry-leading program. Prior to working at Arsenal, Paddy gained considerable experience in a number of sports and in 2008 began work for the Irish Rugby Football Union as the academy strength and conditioning coach for Munster Rugby. During his time at Munster, he was fortunate to also hold the position of assistant strength and conditioning coach for the national team and prepare the players for the 2011 RBS Six Nations and the 2011 Rugby World Cup. In his last season with the IRFU, he was awarded the title of Head Strength and Conditioning Coach for the Irish Under-20 squad that competed in the 2013 Six Nations and Junior World Cup competitions. Potty holds a master's degree from Edith Cowan University, as well as creditations from the NSCA, the UKSCA, and also the ASCA. In 2015, for his work in youth sport, Potty was awarded the Strength and Conditioning Coach of the Year for youth sport by the UKSCA. On this episode, we discuss Potty's background. I asked Potty would he like to pursue a PhD. Potty describes his day-to-day process at Arsenal's academy. Potty describes how he communicates and works with the technical and tactical coaches at the academy. I asked Potty about monitoring the athletes. We discuss the importance of making the process stimulating. Potty talks to us about Arsenal's long-term athlete development model, the Arsenal Arrow. I asked Potty about his own self-management. I asked Potty for his top and current book recommendations. Potty and I discussed the importance of mental training. I asked Potty if he only had one year left on planet Earth, how would he spend that year and why? I asked Potty about his learning process. And finally, I asked Potty if he could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who'd he invite and why? Guys, this was a brilliant conversation with Potty, and I hope you really, really enjoy it. Paddy, thank you so much for making time to speak with me today. How are you? Absolutely. Great. My pleasure. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. Uh, absolutely. Come here, just for the listeners who won't be too familiar with who you are, give us the background. And give us the full background. I love your background story. I think it's great. Full background in a nutshell or in a, just any way at all. So in a big nutshell. In a big nutshell. Um, so currently I'm based in London. I'm with Arsenal Football Club with the um, Academy. I um, am overseeing the under-18 and under-23 setup and the physical development of all those players. Prior to that, when I moved here six years ago, um, I was in charge of the under-9 to under-16 program. So essentially, over the past six seasons, I've had um, a tremendous insight and a tremendous experience at looking at the whole long-term athletic development of an elite um, young football player, if, if that's the right word. Um, prior to that... Um, I was, at, I was employed by Irish Rugby Football Union, working in the Munster region, um, based in Cork, when, when Munster was divided into two sections. Um, I was there for four and a half seasons, full-time, kind of two seasons on top of that, part-time, looking after their summer program with their um, 
talent identified players and uh, um, under 18s and under 19s and under 20s. And then eventually I got a full-time role with the academy itself uh, based in Cork. Um, while be- between, I suppose, be- the big, there was a bit of a gap between uh, my time at Munster and my time with Arsenal. I went off traveling the world for two years. Um, got a kind of a, a brain spell one day. Me and my, my wife decided to go traveling and it was a hard thing to do, give up a career at Munster. European champions, uh, I was coasting along, doing good work, um, getting opportunities, working with the under Irish in the 19s and the 20s, and then I decided to take off for two years, which was very, very difficult, but really, really rewarding as well as I, as I got a chance to travel 16 countries. Um, 12 months of that was in Australia, eight weeks of that was in New Zealand, working with the, the Irish squad for the 2011 World Cup, which was an incredible experience, and I suppose along the way... Um, learning new things about myself if that's uh, sounds corny and sounds sentimental but um it was a very 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 uh, very very important part of my life a very important time of my life when i think um i was i was 30 when i took off which uh, people might have thought was mad when everyone in ireland at the time around that age was career driven we were buying houses getting the old labrador getting a couple of children um and me and my wife decided just to pack it all up and spend a deposit on a house uh, traveling, which has been absolutely fantastic. And along the way, I had the opportunity to meet amazing people. Um, I ended up working as a personal trainer in Australia, going back to one-on-one type training, which was, was really rewarding. Along there, I met some incredible people. Um, a guy called Brendan Whelan was my boss in the gym in Melbourne, which happened to be an Irish guy, um, who was, uh, was in charge of the Melbourne Rebels uh, Academy at the time. And he had a great insight into work they do there we did we had a great link and are still friends to this day um which which was interesting so along the way yeah um prior to prior to Munster um I worked in various different jobs jobs I was educated in Cork Institute of Technology where I um done the leisure leisure management um diploma leading into a business studies degree at the time there was no degree in uh, leisure management um along the way I suppose I, I I wasn't brainy enough to get points for Sports Science in UL or UCD or any of those courses, I ended up taking uh, leisure management, which actually opened some incredible doors for me, really, because um, in CIT at the time, uh, Munster Rugby were based there. They used to use that gym. So I suppose that was my first exposure to strength and conditioning uh, was through a guy called Mark McManus there, who was full-time S&C there, and Fergal O'Callaghan, um, who was, was work who I ended up subsequently working with in the academy when I worked with Munster, which was incredible. And then Aidan O'Connell, who's currently with Monster's first team, they were all in around CIT when I was there. So that was my first real exposure to strength and conditioning in a formal setting. Um, while I was in there, I was doing plenty of kind of sideline jobs. S&C, this is 2001, 2002, when I started there after graduating. And there was no real, S&C was not a thing in Ireland at the time, or else it was a select few around the country. So I was working with Highfield Rugby Academy, some as well Rugby Academy, UCC Rugby Academy, UCC Hockey Academy. I worked with anyone I could get uh, in the door with. And I suppose along the way, um, at the time I was I was work, competing as a weightlifter. So I kind of became the, the gym guy, the weightlifting guy and got a reputation around Cork, I suppose. Um, and from there, people came knocking on the door, which was really good uh, to do, you know, a CS pre-season program with them or just assess the players and give them some gym-based programs, etc. Um, worked with a couple of Gaelic football teams, Carberry Rangers and West Cork, which were All-Ireland champions at the time. 
um, through my old lecturers, Noel Collins and Kevin Kehley in, in CIT. I ended up working with Paralympic sailing team, um, four tremendous guys who had been to two Paralympic Games. And this is all kind of as a volunteer. Some, some of it was paid, some of it was unpaid. Um, I was just eager to coach, I suppose. Um, and, I, and that led me then into a full-time position in, in University College Cork. I was there for one year before the Munster job came up, and it was just kind of a, a nice progression from there. And I suppose my, my background, how I, how I got into strength and conditioning is, um, I suppose growing up in a tiny town in Care County, Tipperary, 3,000 people, small secondary school, and at the time, there was an amazing man and, and his wife, um, Bernard O'Brien and Deirdre the Wired are two huge influences on me. Um, as a 16-year-old, 17-year-old, uh, they had a tiny little gym in care that they opened to the public. And they were competitive bodybuilders themselves. Um, and I suppose that was the first time I was exposed to pushing and lifting things heavy. Um, typical Irish boy growing up, I played football, hurling, soccer. Athletics. Um, I excelled in most of them, but um, I think I was an early developer. Um, finished growing very early. Everyone passed me out, so then I kind of found my way into weightlifting. Um, and they were they were they were like Bernard to this day is probably one of the strongest guys I've ever seen in the gym, and, and still is. Um, and along the way, then I just got a taste for for bodybuilding, powerlifting type movements. And then when I went to college in CIT, um, I came across a guy who's famous in Irish weightlifting called Billy Cable. Um, who to this day, he's in his late 60s, if not 70, he's still lifting competitively in Europe and in World Masters competitions. And um, he taught me Olympic lifting in CIT. He taught me as a volunteer, um, which was an incredible experience. And then I suppose I got the bug for weightlifting and, and all things heavy. And along the way then, I, I picked up all sorts of certificates and stuff. Um, when I was meant to be studying for my uni degree, I was doing, you know, step aerobics classes, I was doing gym programs, I was doing circuit training, anything I could to, I suppose, put myself through college, but also to, to get experience in coaching. Um, and along the way, picked up uh, you know, a degree, um, iTech diploma at the time, gym instruction, basic gym instruction diplomas, and started working in gyms from there, really. Um, it wasn't until I went to UCC and became full-time strength and conditioning coach that I actually went, oh, I better get a strength and conditioning qualification. Um, and that's when I, I got my um, CSAS, the Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist Award from the American Strength and Conditioning Association. Um, so that was my first uh, formal strength and conditioning qualification. And then I bumped on into Munster and along the way decided to do a master's in strength and conditioning um, through Edith Cowan in Perth in Australia, which was um, which was which took a long time. It took five years because I'm poor, you don't read so good. <laughs> Um, no, I just, uh, I took gaps in it when I was traveling and I took, um, took time out, uh, along the way to catch up and work. Um, I remember very clearly when my, my wife and my sister, my sister lived in Australia, she came to join us in Thailand when we were traveling for a week and they were sitting on a beach tanning themselves, drinking Mai Tais. And I was in an internet cafe doing an exam for my master's. So it kind of, um, it was, it brought me, I studied all over the world in, in some respects. Um, and along the way, as part of that certification, I, I picked up the Australian Strength and Conditioning uh, Certified Strength and Conditioning Coach as well. And I have the UK one as well. So that's not boasting or people telling me that uh, I'm cert chasing. It's just, I suppose, background into my education, um, which has led me to where I am now. Um, big thing for me, though, is qualified doesn't mean competent. Uh, you have to have certifications to get insurance and to get your foot in the door. 
but for me, the big thing, um, big thing I try to do is coach and become a very good coach, and I work very hard on my program design, making sure the program fits the athlete. And I think doing all those courses, working in all those different places with so many different uh, sports, has allowed me to become adaptable. I think, and yeah, led me to the journey of I suppose ending up in London with Arsenal Football Club. Uh, I know that's a roundabout in the big. Um, all-encompassing way, but I think it just gives a little picture of where I came from, where I'm at, uh, and where I'm going, who knows. But, yeah, it's been very, very interesting. Um, as I said, I, I try to get as much coaching experience as I can. And I'm trying to give that back as well by mentoring some young coaches at the moment. Um, I do a bit of tutoring for Satanta College as well on their um, degree and master's course. Um, I tutor some students there, correct exams, different things. So I'm, I'm very keen and very interested to stay in touch with the academic side of things. Um, but in a practical way, um, a lot of the courses out there are not very practical. So it's it's good to see uh, colleges like Satanta trying to push a practical based degree, practical based masters. Um, so yeah, I'm trying to help educate. I'm trying to help coach. Basically, I'm just trying to be the best version of a coach I can be, and along the way, help mentor coaches, uh, young coaches, aspiring coaches, male, female coaches. Um, who have interests in working with anyone, um, particularly the youth athlete. Particularly, yeah, the youth athlete is the, the big, the big gap for me. So, that's hope a, that answers your question. <laughs> that's an absolutely savage background. <laughs> it's uh, it, it's not straightforward. It was a bit. Um, I suppose there's not a uh, at the time in Ireland there was no direct strength and conditioning path or even a sports science degree. If you done a sports science degree, you ended up in a lab or. You went on and done PE teaching or various different things. Um, so it was a kind of, I, I fell into it by, by accident through, I suppose, passion and along the way, a little bit of luck. And when I say luck, um, having the, the, the right abilities at the right time mm. when an opportunity came along. So I've been fortunate to have those opportunities and, and no doubt a lot of people have helped me along the way. So I have to be very grateful to them and I'm, I hope to do the same for young coaches uh, uh, in the present. So, yeah great stuff this actually wasn't the question i initially had but just when you were given your background there it just popped into my mind you, you know just saying with your work with satanta and you like to keep a little bit of a foot into research do you think yeah. you, you'd ever go on maybe to do a phd or or to research a particular area that you're interested in yeah that's very interesting yeah yeah robbie um i've thought about doing a phd for the last two or three years i just can't find the gap in to do it full-time um, we, we're very lucky at Arsenal my boss Des, uh, Des Ryan is very very encouraging of doing uh, mm. professional development and we'll find funding for these things and we've got a good link with Satanta College but also with the University of South Wales um, and actually uh, Eden Jeffries down there we, we've got um, we've got one or two PhD opportunities already in the club uh, from, from that link and we've Great. got a research team uh, we've got a research team at Arsenal headed up by Dr. Alan McCall who's based wow. in, in France. And um, he's basically, we have a research meeting every month uh, organized by the first team, which basically allows us the opportunity to look at the latest research, look at any topics we might want to write a paper on, um, et cetera, et cetera. We're very, I'm in a very lucky position to do that. Um, just trying to find the time to do the PhD is the problem. Um, I spoke to Alan McCall. He, he, done his, he finished his by working full-time in football. And he said, you need to set aside probably 20 hours a week to, to try and nail it full time which is for me I, I can't at the minute but yeah long story long rant um, yeah 
I would love to do a PhD down the road. Not to, um, not, I suppose, not to have another and be called doctor or professor or any of that. It's kind of to research the topic of maturation and its effect on, I suppose, muscular strength and power for me is something I think we, we need to look at further. Um, and, and how much, really, I suppose, how much effect are we actually having as practitioners on the athlete, the young athlete? Are we, you know, I know we're encouraging um, gains during maturation, but are, are we, how much are we encouraging those gains ahead of natural maturation? So, so there's a whole host of topics I'd like to look at. Um, yeah, big time. And I, I suppose I have the, 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 the cohort of players and the, the longitudinal data with players to do that. So if I get time, I'd love to, yeah, down the road. Yeah, David Howitt, who's the head of performance there at Connacht, he's currently doing his PhD as well. So maybe he's a guy touch base with to see how, how he's working that yeah. out. Uh, I think yeah. uh, Aaron Coots is his supervisor. Um, oh, okay. I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure what exactly Dave's doing it in, but I know he's doing yeah. it anyway, and like he's, he's flat out with Connick, So Yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he'd be a good guy that to That might be worth a look. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I was speaking um, to Aidan O'Connell from Munster, an old colleague of mine. I know, I, know, doing, I, I know Aidan well, just so you know. You know Aidan, yeah. I know he, he's currently doing... Yeah, I was chatting to him last week, and he's currently doing a professional doctorate. So oh, basically... Good doing a doctorate around his, his day-to-day work, which I had heard about, but didn't know how it worked. How it worked. So I might pick his brains on that further. Yeah, yeah, that'd yeah, be good. yeah. brilliant. Thank you. I might contact, yeah, the guys at Connacht as well. Yeah, yeah. And sure, listen, uh, Des would put you in touch there. Cause yeah, when, yeah. When so Johnny O'Connor, I know Johnny yeah. well, so... Yeah. When I was down there at the time, Des was actually giving a presentation. Like I went down to Connacht, and Des happened to be giving a presentation that yeah, day. Yeah, that was last year, I think, was it? It, it was, was last yeah, and it was the Chris, not last Christmas, Christmas before. So Christmas. Oh yes, 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 yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, you mentioned a few people there in regards to influences. Um, who else have been big influences on you professionally and personally? Well, I suppose Liam Hennessy, um, who is still my mentor and friend through Satanta College, through Irish rugby. Um, I came across Liam even before I was out Irish rugby, obviously through weightlifting Ireland and through um, some of the Irish rugby courses that I had done along the way. He's an incredible man. I think um, he's not only just a Tipperary man like myself, but the journey he's had is, I think he's worth an interview as well. He's, his journey is incredible. I've had him um, on my podcast. Still, I've had him. Oh, I've sorry, him. I haven't seen that one. But yeah. Yeah, uh, and again, I know Liam well. Liam's a legend. Like, I, yeah, you had mentioned that to me. Yeah, Liam would be a mentor to me as well. Like, you know, I, th- I think he's a mentor to everyone. He's. Um, I know. He, I was only speaking to him the other day, and like, it was meant to be a quick call, and an hour later, he's still giving me like life advice, personal advice, career advice. He, he's just speaking in Latin. Passion. Speaking in Latin, he he broke into Irish, which is I'm not very good at, <laughs> which embarrassed me. I couldn't answer him back. Well, he's a former, um, he's a former just, teacher. Former teacher, yeah. Incredible, yeah. I suppose my current boss, Des Ryan, like, you know, he, he gave me an opportunity to come to Arsenal and I grabbed it with both hands and we've, we've worked incredibly hard together to build Arsenal into the, the brand that it is. Um, the, the department that we have, the brand they have. Um, Des is always there as my mentor. Um, I suppose growing up, my mum was an incredible mentor to me. She mm. instilled huge amounts of hard work, discipline, honesty, get up and do a, do a day's work. Um, that, that was from a very young age, very young age, which uh, she's probably still my biggest mentor to date. Um, along the way, I'm one of her family, friends, but at the minute, uh, I'm, I'm very lucky. My wife encourages me to Great. do these things, go out and spread the word and 
she I often don't see her very much because of uh, work the nature of the profession and she's been very very patient but I suppose she sees the passion and, and willingness I have to not just do my day-to-day job but trying to help other people and like I'm on the phone nearly every night to, to coaches from all over the place bouncing ideas you know checking in giving advice getting advice so yeah I've had a I've been very lucky I've been surrounded by some very very good people along the way so um in my weightlifting career, the weightlifting guys, Andy Murphy, who's at Connacht in the academy there, Cahill Bird, one of the best Irish lifters there is. Um, along the way, Sean O'Sullivan, who worked in UL, one of the best coaches I've, I've met. Just, I've been, I've been very, very lucky. Yeah, I've been surrounded by lots and lots of good people. And the guys I work with at the minute, um, I'd say at the minute we have probably some of the best strength and conditioning coaches in the business, I think. Um, but we're very, very lucky to be surrounded by the, the crop of people we have every day. The, and it's not until outside people come in and, and start presenting to us or we present to them and you actually go, the quality of people we have working with us uh, are, are incredible. So so let's get into your day-to-day role at Arsenal. Yeah. Um, and maybe even take us through, you know, if you want to go like from macro to micro, so you might lay out like what a season looks like and then kind of what a weekly schedule would look like. Um. Yeah, and just take it from there. And I suppose sort of the main sort of theme of this uh, podcast or our conversation today is, you know, long-term athlete development. So yeah. take it whatever way you want there, Paddy. So, yeah, our academy is broken into two sections. Uh, we've got two sites. So the under-18s, under-23s, and first team train in the one site, uh, London Colney. Then the under-9s, under-16s train in um, Hayland uh, Training Ground, which is Walthamstow. So we... Our seasons differ slightly because the under-9s, under-16s don't play a competitive league and it's very much based around school. So they're currently still training for another week, I think, or two weeks, and then they'll break up for five or six weeks, whereas we're currently off for five weeks. So essentially, talking, we go macro, our under-18s, under-23s will start back on the 22nd of June, um, where we'll have a week of screening and testing. And then we essentially work in a pre-season as our first blocks. We'll work in a six to seven week period leading up to our first league game, which is generally the 7th or 11th of August every year. Around the first to second weekend of August is when it kicks off. And then basically it, it spurs on then for 47 weeks, really. So as a whole, it's 47 weeks um, from start to finish. Week one beginning, say 22nd. And then that goes, yeah, 47 weeks. That's a patient wife. That's a very patient wife. Um, that's, that's a very patient wife. Yeah, uh, there's no making up for it. It's, it's difficult, very difficult. It's a, yeah, it's a long season. Continue there, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt, but just when you said 47 and you, and you said her lunch is patient, I was like, that yeah, it's a 47 week. Um, there's a little bit of a break at Christmas. There's a little bit of a break around the international games when, when our players are uh, on international duty. But that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's full on. And it's, it's a five to six day a week job. I, I could just, I could just see you when the summer, like when August comes around, you go, I'll see you at Christmas, okay? I'll see you at Christmas. <laughs> I'm ready to blow up again. Bye-bye. Um, no, we've been, we've been better with time off lately, but it, yeah, it's full on. That's a professional academy. It's, yeah, it is I what get, it is. It, um, <laughs> basically then, the first six weeks is pre-season, so we work at a six-week block up to the first game. In that, screening, testing, orthopedic screening, functional screening, fitness testing, video 3D analysis screening and then cardiac and heart lung screening by the doctors. Mm. The nutritionists will take blood and all sorts of, we full cohort really. So very lucky there that we have those means. And then we basically build up to the first game. 
in the preseason, we'll have a couple of friendlies. Uh, in, in football in general, preseason is quite short. So when I say preseason, it's not a block of, and this is what I think um, people outside of football might not know who work in other sports. When they say preseason, preseason is a loose term for me uh, in football. Preseason is non-competitive fixtures. But actually, you do play three or four games in preseason. So in that seven-week period, we'll play probably three or four games, which will include going to last year we went to Germany. This season, we're going to Slovakia for a training camp where we'll play two, two local teams or um, their highest-ranked academies teams or an age grade above or something, something to that effect. Last year, we played uh, Bayern Munich in, in Munich. The year before, we played Bayern Munich in Nuremberg uh, in Munich. So we're looking for European opposition that we not, don't often play, which is fantastic for the boys because um, the, the Premier League, we tend to play the same teams a lot, um, which, is, which is competitive, very, very competitive. But uh, to, to see the European teams is, is very, very interesting and what they do. So pre-season, again, harping on about pre-season for me. In rugby, when I was working in Munster, our pre-season was maybe 12 weeks long. Um, 10, 12 weeks long, unbroken, no fixtures. You might have internal fixtures, you might have kind of uh, opposed games, but it was generally internal. It was never really any external opposition. It was very, very similar in hockey um, and in Gaelic games. Generally, you're, you're off season, you're just training. But we tend to play three or four weeks in, we, we'll play some games, um, which is good. Good for the boys, but they'll be limited minutes. They're not going to be playing 90 minutes uh, off the bat. They'll be maybe rotate guys 45 minutes, 60 minutes, etc. And then from there, you're, you're working from your first game then to Christmas, really, um, which is a 10-week period. Um, so we, we work in blocks of, of we periodize our, our program, I suppose our physical program, around four-week blocks, uh, generally three weeks on, one week off. When, when I say one week off, it's more of a deload um, or a slight taper, depending on fixtures. And that's generally how we, we plan our, our weeks leading up into, um, into the, the end of the season. That, that continues right through the season, working in four-week blocks. Um, the football coaches generally work in five- to six-week blocks for technical model, which varies slightly, um, whereas our physical demands um, from training for the boys is quite heavy. So we, we tend to taper off uh, four weeks or three weeks in. Um, not a complete taper, but a little reduction in, vo- in, in volume. Then, I suppose, weekly, what it looks like for the 18s and 23s, you're looking at Monday, Tuesday training, Wednesday's education all day, Thursday, Friday training, game Saturday. Um, the 23s played the Checker Trade League this year, um, which is uh, men's football, basically. Um, you get invited to play in that. So they might have played uh, Tuesday, Saturday, Tuesday, some days. So they, they had a very heavy fixture list this year. Um, and again, if you get into FA Youth Cup or... Uh, league Cup or all those things you could have some of our players could have up to 35-36 games uh, a season um, across the two squads some of them that play across the squads might have 40 games a season so it's quite full on for the boys uh, I suppose weekly uh, for the 18s it's a quite straightforward week because we play on a, on a Saturday so Monday is like a restart day it'll be you know 70 to 80 minute football session there'll be some corrective exercise in the morning resetting some prep work then the football session then in the afternoon, they might have video analysis looking at the game from Saturday, our opposition from Saturday, how it went, how it didn't go. And then they'll probably do an upper body gym session or a kind of a corrective exercise type session, depending on the, the player and where their maturation is and where their, their injuries or, or uh, rehabilitation is. Uh, Tuesday is our football fitness day. It's our work day. So it can be quite heavy. That's the day when we get a lot of the work done because it's 
far enough away from the previous game and from the, the game coming up at the weekend. So we could do a double session on a Tuesday, which would be a heavy football session in the morning. Um, prior, to, sorry, prior to the football session, AM, there'll be a power session in the gym. Um, where boys will lift, lift explosive lifts, Olympic lifts, weighted jumps, plyometrics, um, multi-directional plyometrics, uh, acceleration mechanics, etc. And then we go into a 90-minute, 100-minute session where you're looking for the boys to get a, a strong RPE. You're looking at a six, a seven, eights in some occasions. Uh, that's your work day. That's your volume day and intensity day. Um, and then in the afternoon, Based on how the boys presented that morning, they might do a lighter technical session, 45 minutes of just technical work, ball skills, ball manipulation. So Tuesday is quite full on. Um, and then after that, after the technical session, they'll come in and they'll do their lower body gym. Because again, it's far enough away from the game and close enough to the next game. Now, people might look at that from the outside and go, you've done power in the morning, 90 minutes in the morning, you've done 45 in the afternoon, and then you're doing lower body gym. Um, so that's... That is um, a full-on day, but it's the best opportunity to develop those qualities because uh, we can't go Wednesday as recovery and we can't go Thursday too heavy on lower body because it's just too too close to the game. Particularly for a growing muscle, the, the, the tension in a, a young boy's ligaments, tendons, muscles who's growing uh, can vary so, uh, so, so rapidly across the week and vary so much that you have to be very careful. So we then go into a Wednesday now. Part of our program at Arsenal, there's a full day's education on a Wednesday. So there's um, functional skills, A-levels for some of the boys who want to do some A-levels. The Premier League will run courses. We'll have holistic development with our psychologist and our player liaison officer. So we'll only have them in the morning for a recovery session where we're, we're very lucky in the training ground. We've got cryotherapy, we've got cold tanks, hot tanks, jacuzzis, pools, any foam rollers we need, bikes, uh, activity areas whatever we need so we do we, we kind of change up um we don't use one one recovery modality on a wednesday we try to vary it up because across 47 weeks there's a whole a whole host of foam rolling stretching so the boys get pretty bored of it so we try to jazz up the old recovery uh, as best we can and then thursday thursday would be very similar to tuesday in the morning we'll do power uh, instead of max acceleration and speed we'll do change of direction type activities or agility uh, and then it's more team-based, a tactical uh, session on a Thursday. Now, because the boys are developing players, there will be work done on a Thursday. It won't be a light session. Um, it might be a five or six RP, but there is work done on a Thursday. The coaches are... the coach. I'm very lucky with the coaches I work with, uh, Greg Lincoln and, and Ken Gillard, are, are two top coaches with the under-18s. They've, they've been... They're really embracing of strength and conditioning and, and the youth athletes' long-term athletic development. They... They understand that we, what we're trying to do, we understand what they're trying to do. Um, strength and conditioning in youth football is still quite new, um, but I'm lucky with the, the guys I work with. They trust me. and they, they, they have a fantastic gauge of the boys as well. They know when to back off, when to give a bit more. Um, they can nearly do it better than myself with regards to using their, their coaching eye at the moment. So, um, And that's all backed up with GPS, obviously. But they, yeah, they... They get work into the boys. They they see Saturday is a is an extension of training for them. Yes, we want to win. It's the under eighteen league, etc. We want to win. We want the boys to learn how to win. We want the boys to learn how to manage a game, etc. But Thursday is a work day. Friday is a work day because Saturday is an extension of training. They're developing players. Mm. Um, 
thankfully none of us lose our jobs or loses you know our heads if we lose on Saturday we want to win on Saturday but if we don't you know it's about the bigger picture it's about getting that young boy ready to play Premier League football so we, we do work on, on a Thursday sometimes there's a double on a Thursday like, like technical in the afternoon depending on sometimes our under 16 players come up and train with us on a Thursday um, which is great they, these are the guys you're looking at as an under 18 next year so they come up and train with us so we will often do a double on a Thursday but that's not for everyone again Rob it's based on the individual basis and the coaches are fantastic at listening to us there where we'll say, yeah, Rob has done too much this week. Um, he's worked his socks off. Can we back off on Thursday? And they're very good at because they want fit, healthy players. Mm. A young boy sitting in a gym injured is not a happy individual. He's, he's not allowed to express himself on a Saturday on the pitch. So our job is to keep that young boy on the pitch, whether it's training or playing. And then Friday is the day before the game. It's... Uh, light warm up in the gym some corrective exercises and a 60 60 to 70 minute session team shape set pieces tactical kind of work it's low key probably three rpe generally um leading into the game on saturday and then they'll do a heavy amount of uh, video analysis on a, on a friday looking at opposition uh, in great detail and we have a fantastic uh, analysis department there niall o'connor from the under 18s does Huge work on analysing our opposition, and it's not a, again not about winning, but about teaching the boys different different uh, different opposition setups, different phases of play, how things change in the game, and that's a huge part of their education is how they watch football. Um, and then obviously we play Saturday, play Saturday off Sunday, and the whole week starts all over again. So that's a micro micro shot. The under twenty threes week would vary differently because they can play Tuesdays. And they can play Saturdays. And sometimes they've played Fridays and been off Saturdays and Sundays. And they, their, their schedule is very organic. And, and the two conditioning coaches there, Noel and Sam, have to be very adaptable because um, they're basically running a timetable similar to the first team because those players are first team reserves. They need to be, they need to be ready for training with the first team when they need them. So their schedule can change rapidly uh, and very, very uh, quickly. So they, they've... Um, They've done great work there, managing players around that and getting players ready for the 23s and the first team. So that their week can change very, very differently. Uh, I suppose that's, a, that's it in a nutshell, uh, what a week looks like. Yeah, listen, that's seriously in-depth and I, I still have a ton of questions. So yeah. the next question I have is, um, you know, integrating your work with the skills coaches. Yeah. You know, talk about how you guys communicate with one another, and like how you guys go about monitoring the load on the players. Like I know you mentioned a little bit in GPS, but I suppose mainly yeah. I'm trying to get like the communication between the S&C staff and like the sports skill staff, so the actual football coaches. Like how, how does that look like with Arsenal? Um, so again, since we've come in, we, we're even though we're established six years now, we were still quite new. Um, I suppose S&C in the Premier League is quite new in, in the youth department. And we've worked very hard at building relationships with coaches. And along the way, we've met a bit of opposition. Of course, you will in any new environment because we were, when we started, there was no maybe one or two fitness coaches. And now there's, there's eight of us full-time across the two sites. So mm. we came in en masse. <laughs> and um, it can be quite daunting if you're a coach who's been there a long time and suddenly this young person is, is or a younger person with less experience than that person is telling you, um, you know, you should do this, you should do that. So we never done that. Uh, Des, Des had a, a saying, kill him with kindness. 
<laughs> and do any job that they ask you to do. And that's what we done when we first came in. And not, you know, it wasn't pandering. Just to, to show the coaches that they trust us, get to know us. We're, we're there to make the boys better for them. And I think along the way, we, we've actually, I would consider my technical staff at work and our, my, my best friends at work. Yeah. Um, very, very good relationships with, with the two coaches. Um, so how that looks is off the back of uh, what they're very good at is when we're on, we're on. When we're off, we're off. Mm. Um, so when we play Saturday, it's all guns. Let's get ready for Saturday. When we're off Sunday, don't call me about the game. I don't want to speak about the game. Yeah. Have your time off. Spend time with the family. Then we go Monday. And Monday morning, then we have a staff meeting where we look at all the games from the weekend across every member of staff is there. Football, medical, analysis, education, every member of the academy manager, everyone's there um, in a big meeting. Let's look at the week ahead, the games from the week previous, which is very, very useful. It might seem like a lot of people and it can get a bit um, busy, the meeting, but everyone then has an idea of what the week looks like. But ballpark figure of how many people will be in that room? <laughs> 16, 18. Oh, it's not that bad. I thought, I thought you were going yeah. to say, yeah, I thought you were going to say more. There. Sometimes yeah. a lot more. Sometimes a lot more. Yeah. And Paddy, just for you go on there, is there someone who is the head of, of that entire department? That so always... there's a, yeah, there's an academy manager, Per Mertesacker. Okay. So he's our academy manager. He, um, he was a former player. He only retired last year, won a World Cup with Germany. Um, he's come in, uh, took over the, the helm as academy manager. Um, so far, so good. He's, he's, Really knowledgeable man, really keen on. He's really keen on developing strong young gunners, is what he calls them. Uh, nice, he, nice. He's coined a phrase. He, he's coined a phrase himself that he wants to develop the most caring and challenging youth development environment in the world. That's his. That's his uh, mission statement, which is fantastic coming from such an experienced man. Who sounds like a bra- sounds like years. a branch of the air force. It's like. <laughs> It's a fairly, yeah, it's fairly full on and that's all over the building. That's everywhere we go. That's written Strong up. Um, so he drives that and he's got, he's got some people in with him um, to, to give him some help and experience because obviously he hasn't managed an academy before, but he's, mm. he's definitely driving it in the right direction. So he heads up a lot of the meetings. Prior to that, heads of department would have taken it. Like Des, yeah. I suppose Des would have been very influential early on in starting that meeting because those meetings weren't happening at all. Um, it was just meetings in little silos. So Sorry, I, I, inter- I interrupted and I'm interrupting again. It's just so like yeah. you were on the Monday morning meeting, so I wanted because you were you, what you were talking about there was fascinating me. So I wanted to keep going. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's well, that's why we're here for. Don't mind the tangents, but um, yeah, the Monday morning meeting is chaired by Paramertizak or our different head of department uh, throughout the week. Des, our head of operations, our, our head of football, Marcel, our head of psychology, Kate. It depends. Uh, each person takes it differently. It used to be Des used to take it, um, and now he's just kind of shared out the load, I suppose. Um, off the back of that then the 18 staff will meet separately and we'll plan the session and that will be first of all led by the physio so Victoria McIntyre our physio will, and the medical staff will lead that so first thing we look at it who's injured who's got problems because we'll have done we'll have done monitoring on Monday morning so we'll have done our readiness to train Monday morning two days after the game so we'll have a good idea where boys are at knocks, bruises tears pulls etc from the week and then we have our list of players but because the 18s are a feeder squad to the 23s, 23s feed to the first team, then we have to see who the 23s want because the first team will want players. The 23s will need players for their session. So then we couldn't be left with anything between 7 and 21 players. Mm. Depends. Wow. So we have to be quite organic and the coach is very flexible. This all happens in a very short period of time. This all happens in a half an hour. 
So we, we find out very quickly who we have and don't have. So we'll sit with the, we'll sit with the, the coach and the first thing he'll ask is who's fit and the medical staff. We'll totally go through that and then he'll tell us, he'll ask me or he'll ask my colleague Dominic um, why, how are the boys looking in general and I'll say, oh, he's, he's flagging today. He's a yeah, half session for him or a full session for him and generally they'll stick to that and as I said, they want, they want healthy, fit players on the pitch so they're not going to put anyone at risk who's a 50-50. And then from there, we'll plan the session. Um, he'll, he'll say, well, what are we looking at RPE-wise or you know, if the game at the weekend was light, can we push him on a bit? Um, because we're, we're there to get work done. It's mm. an academy and we need to develop players. And a lot of the time, you, you go into a game with 18 players and you can only use 15, 16. So you can only use three subs. So there's a bench there that two lads might play. Then you've got four boys who are completely out of squad. So we might do extra work with them on a Monday. So that's where the individualization comes in. So mm. the, the, the team that played 90 minutes at the weekend might only do, I don't know, 70 minutes of a session. And, and then the rest of the boys might stay out and do another 20 minutes of individual work with the coaches. And that has worked really, really well this year because you're, you can top up your running. And I see this all the time. I actually have this debate with my uh, colleagues at work and I see it with every fitness coach in every game I play, um, running boys after a game. Premier League rules, on a pitch after a game, you can only take 15 minutes to do conditioning. So for me, yeah, you get your high-speed running done, but you don't get any volume work done. You don't get any intensity really in 15 minutes. You're, you know, you're, you're running guys that are pissed off. They haven't played or they've played 10 minutes. Um, so we do that. We do the top up on the, on the pitch, but we've encouraged the coaches now to take ownership of this. And, well, they've taken it themselves and working with us. And, and they take those players for extra training on a Monday, which has worked out really, really well. Because that gets them back onto the same page. Because um, it's probably the same few that don't start all the time for various reasons. Might be their first year there. They might be uh, physically immature. When I say immature, physically just not ready yet to play 40 minutes, 90 minutes. So we mind those boys, uh, which is hard because those boys get frustrated when they're not playing. Um, they all expect to come in in their first year and play but that doesn't happen mm. so yeah um, that's generally how it happens and then um, we started this season at the end of this season at the end of the day once the gym sessions are done um, once the education is done whatever is done that day we will sit with the coach informally again uh, the meetings in the morning are more formal informally over a cup of coffee that evening before we go home and he'll go around us again starting with the physio right did they turn up on time first of all so Ken and big on that that the boys turn up on time they're where they're meant to be when they're meant to be they behave and they do it properly um, are there any injuries from training or the guy that had a sore quad is he okay how did he get through training Paulie how were they in the gym were they good were they bad um, and then we'll just have a look at the Tuesday and what we're looking at what we hope to expect on the Tuesday session so we plan in the morning and then we reflect in the, in the afternoon and that's a practice I haven't seen done to be honest with you in a lot of sports it's it's mm. it's it, it might seem meeting for the sake of meeting, but it, it's very clear then so that we can control what we can control. Because as I said, Rob, um, our, our days are very organic uh, with the 18s in particular and the 23s because, you know, you're based in all around the first team schedule. Uh, as If they lose a game the weekend and the manager decides to take them in Sunday, the 23s come in Sunday. Their, their week changes. And then our week changes because they might want some of our 18s players to go with them. So... That's what we do. We reflect in the morning, reflect in the afternoon. Along the way, we have our disagreements. The coaches will sometimes tell us we're being a bit soft on a guy or, you know, and that's maybe we do get it wrong sometimes or we're maybe doing too hard on a guy that maybe he's done too much. But 
Well, it's professional courtesy. It's professional challenging, and it's fantastic. Really, we're we're very lucky with the coaches we have. Um, that they they understand the game as well. They understand the modern game because the game has changed so much. Uh, and even I'm not sure if you've seen a Premier League game live, Rob, but even at under eighteen level, some of these boys are incredibly athletic. Mm. Um, I know football gets a, a bad rap for guys diving and being a bit soft. And, I tell you, at this level, um, you have to be a physical specimen to play under 18, under 23, and even 14 Premier League. Incredible. So, there's nothing soft about these boys. Yeah. From a monitoring standpoint, what are you guys utilizing there? Because just as you were given your insight there into working with the technical staff, you know, you were saying you might be asked how such and such looking party and you'd say, well, he's yeah. lagging today. Is yeah. that just based off interaction with him or are you guys getting objective and subjective? Um, well, yeah, players? we get both. Um, so we do monitoring match day plus two and match day minus one. So for under 18s, that's a Monday and a Friday, two mm. days after the game, one day before the game. We start um, outside the change rooms. There'll be a trolley. They'll pick up their urine pot. They'll do what they need to do and as they walk towards the monitoring room they pass the nutrition room and in there there's a, a hygiene sluice area where we do um, our nutritionist Stephanie and Craig will do the um, urine um, hydration analysis then they come in and they do POMS the perceived onset mood state so they, yeah. they do a, a wellness questionnaire they'll do um, jumps on a force plate to monitor neuromuscular fatigue okay. they'll do a groin squeeze and external uh, groin squeeze and um, knee to wall for ankle mobility they'll yeah. do um, weight as well body weight and then that gives us kind of a general picture of where they're at um, the physio then uh, Victoria and our, our, the guy that works with me Dominic is very sharp on this they've got a lovely spreadsheet that then just tells us their norms and standards and whether they're plus okay. or minus 10% okay. gotcha. kind of seeing what's below or above average is it a concern and then if we have a particular boy uh, who's down in a certain thing We'll say, well, then Victoria will assess him further to see is it a, an injury, an issue, or just a bit of fatigue from training or from the game the weekend. Um, and then off the back of that, that's, that's the morning monitoring, which gives us a reflection of readiness to train. The biggest part of that, I think, um, yes, the data is there. and We know what standard, what their norm is and for a groin squeeze. Say, if he's squeezing 300 and he's down around 220, 230, then that or something there, let's have a look. But actually, it's the interaction with the physio and with ourselves that is the most important thing. Mm. Um, the mood sheet is always an interesting one. Uh, <laughs> mm. I didn't sleep well last night. Well, be honest, you looked like a bag of shit. Uh, <laughs> did you sleep or did you not sleep? And why didn't you sleep? So I think that's the interaction is very important. Yeah. Um, and our, I, think, I think our medical staff and physio and ourselves have a very good relationship with the boys on that. You, some boys have a, a sore tummy in the morning. Why is that? Are they... I did their day off and they had too many burgers or was it just uh, they are actually ill? So, yeah, the interaction is, is that that gives a subject of object in Marcus and that leads to conversations with the, the medical staff if there is an issue. And then from there, we'll, um, we'll let the coaches know who's fit and who's not fit. That, again, just another question and this wasn't actually one I had listed out, but just as you get that answer, it popped into my mind. How do you balance letting these young men be young men though too at the same time just as you were saying you know did, did he have a lot of burgers on a sunday and you're like you know yeah. they, they still do need a bit of a childhood at the same time and i Absolutely. know at the, at the other end of that you're telling these lads listen if you want to make it this you know this is the life they want to have and it's just, well, it's just just in, it, it, like the foresight of that is like you know what kind of 
like that could potentially be detrimental in terms of maybe their mental health when they get older you know like you know that kind of during their 20s or 30s like fuck i never had a childhood and maybe that's why i do all this mad shit now so it's kind of like you know <laughs> where, yeah. where like what what are your guys sort of you know thoughts on that or is it something that you even have something implemented in place to make sure listen they're they're still these guys are still 16, 17 years old and there's still very important aspects of sort of football that, 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 that needs to be developed within these young men. That's, yeah, that's, that's, the, biggest, that's the biggest issue, I think, in academies. Yeah. Whether it's tennis, hockey, rugby, football, we're, we're chasing the golden goose. The parent is chasing or nurturing the golden goose. Mm. So football is so rewarding at the top end because so few make it. And that's a very good point you make because an interesting stat that comes from the Premier League recently, we've got probably 200, 250 boys in every Premier League academy. There's 20 Premier League teams. That's 5,000 odd boys. Mm. 0.012% of them will play in the Premier League, which, yeah. works out of between, which works out of between 50 and 60 players. So that's a frightening statistic. And yes, most of them or some of them will go on to have a job or make a career in championship football or division one football and they can make a very good living mm. in division one or championship football. But it's that's why we I'm going around in circles here. Sorry about no they're, no they're the stats. They're frightening and they're frightening they frighten me. And we've already since we've been here, me and Des and our department has been set up, we've seen boys that we've trained probably four years ago. Some of them aren't even playing football now. And they're still only 21, 22. Um, some have gone on to have great careers at other clubs but I'd say the majority of them end up out of the game after 21 now I haven't got exact stats on that but I know it's fairly damning I think there was a, an article or some research published recently on that you might be able to find but. so on that um, we take it very seriously um, mm. we, we have to be very careful um, because the, say I start on the 22nd of June with my new under 18s eight of them are currently doing GCSEs. So now, they're schoolboys today. In three weeks' time, I'm asking them to be an adult. Because <laughs> now they're going into a full-time program. And we're, uh, well, I'm not asking them, that's the wrong word, but we're expecting them to be adults. We're expecting them to do the right thing all the time, turn up on time, but that's not going to happen. So when I was 16, 17, I certainly wasn't doing what I was asked. Um, I didn't know, I knew what right and wrong was, but I certainly didn't abide by all the laws. So. Yes, trying to get the balance of trying to make these boys into pro athletes, pro footballers, but also balance that with having a childhood is very, very difficult when they're in a full-time program. So that's why I must say, and I know I'm big enough the football coaches here, but our, our, our coach Ken and Greg at the 18s level, and even Freddie Lumberg was coaching the 23s and Ryan Gary last year, wow. they struck the balance really well of actually making training fun. <laughs> training has to be fun because it's the sport. We live in a sporting world. We're in a bubble. Like, again, if we lose on Saturday, no one dies. It's not brain surgery. So we want to try and nurture these boys, educate them in the game, educate them physically, but also give them some sort of outlet to express themselves. And, yeah, we're trying to get them to eat the right things on site, and we have two nutritionists who keep an eye on them, and we're keeping an eye on them, telling them to eat the right thing, do the right thing. But along the way, they make mistakes, so you have to laugh at that as well because mm. they are kids. As I said most of them are 16, coming up here, 17. They turn 17 in their first, first year as a full-time professional. Like a, the, the scholarship boys are considered professional players because they're full-time. They're 17. So 
on that, when we're doing recovery, we try to make it fun. You know, we've started having a few more kind of squad activities outside of training, like go-karting, paintballing with the 23s. D18s, we took them bowling and we took them playing top golf and different things. We're just trying to take them do different things and let them have a childhood. And we, we certainly wouldn't discourage them from, from the weekends is the weekends. We don't want to know. And in fairness, the boys are pretty good, I think. In, I must say, I've never, I've never, I've never, and I can honestly say, I've never, since I've been here, had to pull a guy aside for smelling a drink or being a bad boy the weekend. Even if he did, you know, have a few points, would we discourage that? Well, we won't know about it, so what can we do? But I must say, on a Monday morning when they present, I don't think I've ever had to really have a word with the guy. Even the older boys go, listen, you all right? What's going on? <laughs> you look a bit um, hazy there. So they themselves are taking it quite seriously. Um, you know, in their time off, even now, uh, they're out they're getting WhatsApp messages, they're playing, you know, beach football and having a good time. And so they love the game and we're trying to encourage them to still love the game without it becoming a chore. And our, our psychologist and our personal development head of psychology and personal development, Kate, and our player liaison officer, Rebecca, uh, we have a whole wellness team there that are fantastic at actually trying to encourage that as well. They take and play in top golf. We do cooking classes. We do uh, finance classes, brand management classes. They do sexual health classes. They do driving lessons, they do Spanish, German. They do all these things to try and give them skills that they might not be getting because they are in a bubble. So we try to do that informally and in a fun way, which might sound really strict because they're doing all sorts of education stuff. But it's, again, trying to bridge that gap. Where we can, we try and let them, let them have a good time and let them relax because they do, they do work so hard. Um, back in Easter, we were at, in Dallas for the Dallas Cup for 10 days, which was an incredible experience. Um, but on, on over in Dallas, again, the boys behaved really well, played really well. Um, we took them out for, when you're in Dallas, you have to go for a steak and wings. Like you have to talk them to a saloon for a steak and wings and, you know, took them go-karts and we went to, you know, visit a children's hospital to show them a little bit of reality too. And mm. So we tried to give them all these different things that, that they, they are missing because in a full-time program, it's football and it's conditioning and education and trying to get a little bit of dose of reality is hard for these boys so we do we do work in a formal way to do that while trying to make it informal if that makes sense and in their time off when they're off I'm not, I'm not in contact with any of the boys I don't want to hear from them they're off it's their time off on a Sunday if, unless you've got a problem or you're ill or you're injured or you're concerned about something I don't want to, I don't want to hear from you mm. it's, it's you know you've only got one day off <laughs> so use it do you know, I mean, it's, that's a bit uh, vague, but no, no. Listen, it's it's again, it's perfect. It's, it's exactly where I wanted you to go with that question. Um, but it's funny when you say fun. I remember asking, like, I don't think uh, I, I've spoken to Dan Faf about this, but someone had asked Dan Faf, like, you know, what's like, you know, what's the the, the most essential thing with elite athletes? You know, what's your number one yeah. thing that has to be present whenever you're, you know, involved in that league? And, you know, like everyone probably who was in the room at the time was just all like, here it is. Here's the golden answer. And it sounds like it has to be fun. has to be fun. Do you know, I like everyone's like, this is a guy who's worked with like the elite. The elite has yeah. multiple Olympic uh, athletes, world champion athletes, you know, multiple world records and Olympic medals and whatnot. And the first thing he says is it has to be fun. And he's like, because if they stop enjoying it and loving it, he's like, it's the end of it like you know so that's fantastic to hear yeah you know it's just the more the more top 
top coaches or people who have yeah. who are regarded as top that's the more it's more common the answer i get like is the process has to be fun it's essential i must say and this is this isn't being boastful but when i spent when i spent time with um the the irish squad at the 2011 world cup um declan kidney was the head coach at the time uh, and this the sessions were so intense throughout the world cup but each part of the session had an element of fun, laughter, and activity mm. to bring the team together. And that might have been in the warm-up with Phil Morrow taking a warm-up, or it might have been at the end when they're doing some individual work. But the boys, I can honestly say 90% of the time, the boys left the pitch. And when I say the boys, seasoned internationals, British and Irish Lions players, left the, left the pitch smiling, joking, you know, after working hard. And I think if you can strike that balance as a coach, whether it's a technical coach or a physical coach or whatever, I think it's so important. And I think some of my colleagues might even look at my sessions some mornings and go, Paul, he doesn't care here. He's lost the will to live here. Because we give them so much structure on the program, day-to-day. This is the correction exercise you do. This is the warm-up exercise you do. This is the power exercises, sets, reps, load. Later on into the season... I can't hold hands. So I go, off you go, boys, let me see. I'll go around, I'll coach, I'll be quiet in the rear. Well done, da, 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 you know. But a lot of time, you have to let them, there has to be guided learning as well. So I, I, I think of think of the program we're trying to set. And I always, I have a phrase uh, that I kind of coined that your, your S&C program and facility should be like a greenhouse where, you know, someone wants to go and grow and, and be nurtured and get sunlight and get heat and warmth and support and structure. Um, if it's not like that then you're wasting your time because if you don't want to go into a job you don't like it's a, it is a job for them it is their hobby and their passion but ultimately they're looking at making a career out of this so if I don't want to go into work every day then why should they want to go into work every day so you have to you have to and sometimes it's not fun sometimes there's crosswords <laughs> because we're all under pressure but that's I think every environment but yeah it has to be it has to be fun it has to be engaging and it can't always you know it can't always be fun but it has to be engaging and when it gets serious and the boys realize that, yeah, you know, this he is trying to make me better here, then, then they understand when you're on, you're on, when you're off, you're off, and we can have a bit of a laugh. But yeah, yeah the, the, the word I like is stimulating because I think sometimes when people hear fun, they think that they're not taking it serious. Yes, but yes, like stimulating correct. means it can still be tough, it can still be challenging, you know, you can still be like, Jesus, this is fucking shitty. But at the same time, it's a good type of shitty because it's challenging me here. It's stimulating me. Like, you know, I, I need this challenge to grow as an individual. So I, I like the words, you know, it's, you know, stimulating. It's keep people stimulated, keep yourself stimulated. Because again, I suppose like fun can have a bit of a, you know, a carefree sort of condemnation about it. But, you know, I, I understand what Dan meant when he said fun and I understand yeah. what you mean when you yeah, say yeah, fun. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. stimulating. Absolutely. The program has been done. It's been done to a high level, but stimulating. I like that term. I really like that term. Yeah. Yeah. You can have it. <laughs> Kabir, with the monitoring, I just have one more question, and then I just want to get you to give your final thoughts. Well, not your final thoughts, but your answer sort of on the, I'm going to ask you like the long-term athletic development pathway that you guys have, you know, the Arsenal Arrow, essentially. Um, just with the monitoring, do you do acute to, acute to chronic ratio monitoring, or do you use that at all? Yeah, we use that. We use that as part of our workload monitoring, and also as part of our a um, GPS. So yeah. that's in there. That's built into both systems. Yeah, where we look at um, 
Um, recently, our, obviously, our research team have done a huge lit review on it around Tim Gabbett's work, and I suppose that's where it came from originally. And um, it's been kind of disproven to be a marker yeah, of I've heard that later, yeah. prediction, but we don't use it as a marker of injury prediction. We use it as a marker of stimulus. Um, yeah, yeah. So our, our GPS guy, uh, Nav Singh, has built it into our GPS sheet. Well, nice. We have our metrics. We have our worst-case scenario from the game. How close are they to that within a zone if it's red, amber, green? Across a four-week period, you know, it'll tell us uh, this particular player hasn't hit their max speed or close to their max speed in four weeks. Then you go, okay, why is that? Is it intent mm-hmm. or is it session? Then we can go chase that because Very that's good. part of our injury prevention. Very yeah, good. oh, we do, we do. We use it. Um, uh, we spoke to Des before um, we broke up about it, and Des was like, well, you know, do we still use it? Or do we leave it in there, take it out? Because the research team are saying, you know, it has no value, really. Um, but we're, you have to look at it. Personally, I'm going to still use it. Uh, so it's, I suppose it depends on the question you're looking for to answer, you know. It's kind of like, again, yeah. like, you know, when you go to the FMS and they're all like, well, it doesn't do this, doesn't do that. It's like, well, that's not really what it was made for. I and mean, people, you know, they get these, like, criticisms that are based on false assumptions. So, again, with acute to chronic, I mean, I suppose, listen, the thing with injury prediction is, like, humans are just such dynamic organisms. Like, trying to put a predictive model to, like, that type of dynamic organism is just, like, it, in a way, it's you know we shouldn't we shouldn't not try, but it, just know in the back of our minds that it's never going to be hundred percent. It just can't be with a dynamic organism that's always in flux. Absolutely, absolutely, and and that that's that's the key thing here that um we use a as I said to yeah to plan training to assess training. We're not we're not predicting injury, and the same with our FMS. We've done hundreds and hundreds of FMS screens and. Again, it, it was never to predict injury. We haven't got a crystal ball. Exactly. Muscle, muscle, bone, and connective tissue are so unpredictable in a fully grown adult, let alone a maturing, skeletally, muscularly immature young player. So you can do everything you want to, to try and predict injury and prevent injury. But injuries happen. And you can't predict injury using acute chronic or FMS. And I think, yeah. I think when people read the research and they start throwing stuff around Twitter and different things, that, it's it's mis misstrued, I think. So we're going to continue using it for the immediate uh, until we find something better. But for us, as I said, it gives us um, and of course you're going to have spikes in acute chronic. Of course you are. If you're not trying to overreach, then you're never going to have that. But it's just gives you a little guideline across your 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 once plan as to what's happening. So yeah, we we use it. Um, well, whether we'll be using it in the future or not, it's, it's hard to say yet. So yeah. All right, well, sir, take us down this long-term athlete development model that you have at Arsenal because uh, I know there'll be listeners to this that would be very keen to hear like the overview of this. So like, what does it look like from under nine or whenever, whenever the, the, the players initially start all the way through to making them a, a premiership player, hopefully? So that's, um, yeah, that's a big, it's basically, it's, it's based on the arrow approach. And I suppose anyone that has seen Des present will, will understand this. Um, and, it's about basically being four stages and, and moving forward when when um, when you're ready, really. And it's, whether that's uh, a full-time player or uh, you know another nine to under sixteen player, but we we break we break our um, training stages on a nine to under eleven, on a eleven to under thirteen, on a thirteen to under sixteen, then eighteens and twenty threes is the professional development stage. Um, along the way, there you're going to because the, the young boys are not full-time. It's it's very 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 um, very different. So they will have probably two to three contacts a week with an SNC coach from under nine to under sixteen. 
um, from 13 to 16, they'll start to get an individualized plan. But a lot of that is based on um, screening, movement ability, et cetera. But that won't kick in until 13 to 16. Prior to that, there'll be a lot of fundamental work that they do, um, you know, primal movements, animal movements, et cetera, along the way of um, developing just a whole physical literacy of, of work that the boys might be missing from school because obviously we don't promote early specialization. But however, from nine to nine to 13, you're looking at uh, early specialization because the boys train three times a week and play with us. So they do play football in their schools. They might play or do athletics in their schools, etc. Um, but it's not always um, easy for them to, to do other things. So from nine to 11, it's a lot of physical literacy, primal movements, um, learning what physical training is about really. Um, then when you move into 11 plus, then they start coming out from school one day a week. So they end up coming into um, the training facility for one half day a week, starting at under 12, and then one full day a week, starting at under 13, where they get a chance to train um, two or three sessions across the day on top of the normal week. So they get a real look then at our physical pathway, which starts really formally from 13 up where, or sorry, from 12 up where they'll get a little individual plan. Now that might be a corrective exercise plan. It might be um, just um, a running mechanic plan. It, it might not be load. There might be some little bit of load in there, like body weight, etc. But they'll start to get a little program with Robbie, Robbie Burka or Paulie Roach, and you'll have your exercises based on your screening. And your screening changes so much as a young player that that will change regularly. And our coaches will update the plan every month. Um, but now they have ownership of their plan. And then obviously 15, 16 up. Now you're looking at players getting ready to become scholars with our with, with the under 18. So they will have very individualized plans. Again, based around their maturation, the base around their their physical um, abilities, and they will they'll have a very formal structured plan. But it'll be again fairly holistic as well. It'll have lots of lots of movement competency for us. Movement is key. So it's competency first, not how well, not how much, but basically how well. How well do you move? Then you can go how well, how much, then how well, how fast, how much further down the line. But generally, we try physical competency for us and functional movement is, is key. So it starts with that uh, at a very young age. And I'm just going to, can you bring up, I can't bring up the arrow for you there, can I? Sorry. When I'm talking here, so I can, you can see it. I'm going to point it here. Um, so that generally... That's how it works. Just so you know, it'll only be audio for the listeners, though, anyway. Okay, sorry. Here I am thinking I, I, had, I shaved and everything today. Thinking it's <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, for us, it's a, the, the arrow approach, and it's, a, you know, it's functional competency is the first thing. Um, Body, can, I just, can I just ask real, real quick, too? Like when yeah. you say functional movement, what does that mean to you now? Because people, you know, people kind of just throw that term around. Like, yeah. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. Functional training. What's functional training? Functional training is anything that has a purpose, is what functional training is. Functional competency for me, is a different thing. Functional competency is the ability to move, to stop, to start, to change direction in an efficient manner. Um, we look at screening all these players from 9s to 23s. We functionally screen them. So we're looking at a joint-by-joint joint approach. So we're looking at good movement competency first in all the big primal movements that we might need for that athlete going forward. Squat, lunge, hip hinge, uh, push-pull mechanics, um, starting mechanics, stopping mechanics, deceleration, acceleration. So 
whole physical literacy. For me, functional competency is the ability to move efficiently in all planes, mm. if you want to call that functional competency. Um, that's got lost in the term functional training. Functional training is training with a purpose. So I think Mike Boyle coined that term functional training many years ago. Functional training for sports would be uh, training for the purpose of that sport, to meet the demands of that sport. We want functionally competent young players who have the ability to move in all planes efficiently and effectively um, to give them the best chance as they grow up to express strength, speed, power. So you can be as strong as you want and as powerful as you want. If you're not functionally moving well, you're at risk of injury and you're not going to be able to express that, that, um, those companies very well. Along the way, you'll meet boys and you'll, you'll meet them many, many times who are not functionally very good. They might be can't extend their hip. They kick their heels out the back door when they sprint. They get no knee drive. They can be some of your quickest players. <laughs> you, you know, you might have a goalkeeper whose shoulder function isn't great and he keeps, you know, he's very stiff overhead, but it doesn't affect him in a game. Do you try and make him functionally better? Yes, because you don't want to have injuries. You want to minimize injuries. But you have to use your brain and you have to screen him regularly. And the biggest screening tool we have is our coaching eye in the, in the gym every day or on the pitch every day going, okay, changing this guy's little mechanic here, this, this simple exercise here, is this going to change him too much that it's going to slow him down? Or are we actually going to make a difference in keeping him injury-free and, and preventing injury or even making him more efficient? So, for instance, if I have a guy who's getting continual hamstring stuff, you have to look at, is he a backside mechanics guy? Is he striking the ground below him and kicking out the back? Or, or you know, is he getting no knee drive? If he's not getting hip extension, has he got weak glutes? We'll get the physio to screen there. Then you can put things in place to make him functionally better. Um, but generally, across the board, we're looking for boys who are, move well in all planes. And of course, you get some of the older boys who come from abroad who haven't been on a program or haven't been assessed really. And they might be, we'd consider dysfunctional, but are they dysfunctional? Because they're top-end players. They're probably top-end athletes because we've signed them, so they can't be bad. But what we want to do is make sure that individual is as functionally good as that person can be for that individual so we can try and minimize. I won't say prevent. That word is wrong. Minimize the amount of injuries that that boy will have. And as I said, we all have dysfunctions. Are we looking for the perfect athlete? Everyone is. Is the perfect athlete in our club? I don't think so. Um, when I say all planes, not everyone moves fantastically in all planes, but they have to move well in the planes that we might have to, might need them to do. We, we like them to be holistic athletes, really. Um, and of course, we have markers for this, but you know, if a guy's markers are below this other guy's markers in a functional movement screen, then you look deeper. Is, is it going to cause him problems or is it just his makeup? Is he physically not capable of doing this exercise? For instance, I have a young boy, Ryan. Ryan is 6'1", and he's 60 four kilos so picture that his hips are probably his 26 inch waist his femur is longer than me his shin bone is longer than me mm. he's not built for squatting on the functional screen squatting no no doesn't happen for that boy yeah. so it's a square peg square peg in a round hole square peg. well when i say squatting back squat front squat in a bilateral sure. yeah. but he can do he can do loads of split squats he's fantastic lunge pattern is good so you're there's functional competency for that athlete. Um, working around his dysfunction, because I know you could look at him and go, oh, he can't squat, he can't, he can't deadlift off the floor. What, what are we going to do with this boy? Well, that's his makeup. Um, 
he's functionally probably very good in other patterns. And remember, he has to run forward and backwards or side to side. So can he move in those patterns? Well, yes, he can. So then you make those patterns as, as good as you can while uh, trying to minimize any issues you might have from lack of being able to squat. It's only one, two. So yeah, that's what not, we mean, I suppose. He's not entering any powerlifting competition, so it doesn't no, matter. No, 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 it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, no, so that's that's where individualization comes in, I suppose. So but just yeah, going back the, to, so sorry again, you've 9 to 13, ter, uh, 13 to 16, and then kind of the 16 to the 18s up, and then the 23s, and then obviously the senior squad. Yeah. Just uh, what does the, you know, the if we just want to term it, the, what does the strength and condition progression look like there throughout, throughout that whole journey? So, yeah, sorry, so, I was touching on that and I, yeah. and I got sidetracked. That's my bad. Sorry. Well, no, I, I, so I, asked, I asked a question there, so that's my yeah, fault. As I said, kind of when, when we talk about formal strength and conditioning, I suppose from 9 to 11, it's, it's movement preparation, um, fun games, the ABCs, agility, balance, coordination. Mm. Um, as I said, we have a guy, Christian Vassella, who's actually writing a whole framework for that at the minute. Uh, we try to make that as fun as possible. Um, we have small sort of different games that we use with the young boys and... Um, I, I used to do a lot of that, but obviously I haven't in the last three years, so I'm no expert at it now. But um, the boys in, in with the nines to sixteens have an incredible curriculum for the, the younger kids. Um, we we throw we throw in hurdles, we throw in ladders. They they do all sorts of footwork drills, and they just like running. Kids like to move. So what we're trying to discourage is the inability to move. And I speak about this again before that as we get older, we lose the ability to move, and as we become more specialised in our sport later on. We, we become very good in those patterns, but not in other patterns. So that's what we're trying to negate, really. Um, and as I said, our young boys play a lot of football. Their hand-eye coordination is shocking uh, in lots of cases, which for us, um, well, for me as a holistic athlete, uh, you need hand-eye coordination even to play football. Um, it's an extension of your, your limbs, your lower body is an extension of your upper body. So we, we do lots of catch-pass type activities. The boys might play t- tag rugby. We might play getting football, different things to teach them catch-pass. Mm. So 9 to 11 is a general movement, animal, primal movements, which, again, is not rocket science for us. It's, it's, you'll find loads of people on Twitter and Instagram doing you know, great work with kids on that, and we try to you know, bring a fun, 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 positive environment in there for the boys to just play and enjoy it. Because try asking under 10 to line up and do a running mechanic drill or it doesn't happen in a formal setting. So you put hurdles out or you put little blocks out and you get them thrown over the blocks or you get them thrown over the footballs. Again, our guys that work with them are phenomenal at getting, getting a buy in them, but also getting purpose from the drills they're doing while having fun, which is a real key because they have to, they're kids, babies, can't even tie their football boots. Um, 11 up then as I said under, tw- sorry, under 12 up I suppose is the best one because under 12 up they come out for a half a day mm. from school so under 12s come out for a half day where they do education in, they do maybe school in the morning then they come out to the club for uh, 2 o'clock and they'll do a football session a gym based session and then probably more football that evening so it's a real mm. for them little boys it's a, a full on afternoon so when I say a gym session that's, that's them with a broom handle with a really light kettlebell with a rubber band learning learning hip hinges learning high pulls learning overhead squats um you know for exercises that we might need them to do later on they start low level plyometrics box jumps you know ladder jumps all sorts of animal movements again in the gym but we're now introducing to okay this is the gym this is what's expected of you in here this is how we warm up cool down 
So they're starting to bring a little formal, um, kind of formal informal setting there. And then from under 13 up, as I said, uh, from, well, even under 12, they start having a little program with their name on it, but I won't call it a program. Mm-hmm. It's a loose term. Under 13's up then, then you're looking at the guys going into, you know, peak height velocity, under 13, under 14, they're starting to change uh, fairly rapidly. So then we're monitoring that process rapidly, very acutely uh, with our maturation information. And then we're going from there and we're planning their corrective exercise program individually. So, you know, if, you're, if your legs are growing quicker than your body and your hamstrings are sore and your knees are sore, then we know from the physio and from our screening, this boy needs more quad stretching work or quad rolling work. He needs more hamstring loosening work. He might need some glute activation work. So then their little plan will be very individualized around their, their, their growth. But they will still be learning, you know, exercises that they might need. So if they're able to do a press-up well, 10 reps, body weight, for instance, then they might pick up like dumbbells and do a dumbbell bench press or a standing shoulder press while we're working on the lower extremity stuff that they need to work on or vice versa. So if they can load an activity with a rubber band or, or with a, a like kettlebell or a broom handle, then, then they'll learn that activity with a little bit of resistance to teach them. For me, resistance is key because even learning an exercise, because whether it's body weight, a band, a broomstick, uh, your body needs something to push against, to teach you to be tight where you need to be tight, to be loose, where you need to be loose, within reason. Um, and then up, obviously, 15s, 16s, they're still in the maturation phase, and that's, that's, they're, still, they're still growing until they come to us, and even when they're with us at ratings. Then they start to get a really formal, individualized gym program, and that might be based around power, might be based around strength, um, or might be based around functional hypertrophy for a boy who is, you know, needs some glute development or hamstring development for injury prevention purposes or... And along the way, this is all, I must highlight, this is all underpinned by functional competency. Mm. So boys aren't allowed to move on to exercises until they're functionally able to do them. And by the way, that changes dramatically. You could have been with me as under 14 this season, back squatting really well with a light bar, lunging very well, stable in the ankle, knee and hip. You go away for four weeks, you come back to me, you're four centimeters taller. Now you're like a baby giraffe and we start all over again. So. Yeah. That's um that's how it works. It's very very organic. And Paddy, how how much like how often do you repeat the screening and the monitoring processes of like the peak height velocity? So for the we used to do it monthly. So for the nine under nines under sixteens, we used to take height, seated height, and weight monthly which on our down, so we'd have a download week I spoke about there. Um, we do the same uh, download week or, or taper week with the under nines, under 16s. Not, not for the purposes of performance and peaking. Uh, it's for the purposes of um, freshness. And listen, boys, you've only got us for 20 minutes tonight instead of two half-hour sessions. They get extra football or they get you know, extra uh, recovery work or we might do something different. So in that time, we used to do it monthly. But then after talk, talking to Dr. Sean Cummings at the University of Bath and stuff, who, who's running a study with the Premier League, he, he felt that the, the worthwhile change you would see monthly isn't enough. So we now do it quarterly. So okay. we would do nines to 16s quarterly and 18s quarterly. The 23s, a lot of them are the same. They're still growing, so we would measure them quarterly, but we're not getting... A lot of them are maybe 100% of, of their maturation. But yeah, still, yeah. we still keep an eye on it because we still get issues there, believe it or not. 
sometimes growth related, load related. Mm. So as I said, we do height, seated height, um, and uh, body weight. And then we do, we'd have the parent height, or biological parent height, which we try and get from the parents, which is very difficult to get sometimes accurately. <laughs> Uh, and then we use uh, the Camish Roche and the mirror wall formulas across the spreadsheet we have. And that then highlights, um, you know, where that person is in peak eye velocity. Are they pre-post, sorry, pre-in it or post it? And if they're, if they're coming into it or are in it, then some of the conditioning coaches at Hale and uh, Perry Stewart and these guys down there uh, with the 9s and 16s, then they would track a boy monthly. They would look at him a lot more acutely. Um, those that are in the red zone and they've mm. they've a lovely sheet that calculates that shows red amber green so green would be he's he's in or out of it uh amber would be he's coming into it and uh, red would be he's in the in the middle of this this maturation phase this, this rapid growth so then they would they would monitor that monthly that particular boy or if he's coming back from a growth related injury like uh, you know a pars defect stress fractures in the back or Osgood schlatters in the knee, etc. Then they might track it monthly as well, but that's based on an individual basis. Generally, it's quarterly. Yeah, quarterly. Great stuff. Listen, I have a boatload of questions. I'm gonna have to get you back on because I have to pop off soon enough, and I only have you booked in till half anyway. That's but, me uh, ranting. Sorry, uh, Rob. No, no. Listen, <laughs> I, I, to... no. This is per- it's exactly this is exactly what the uh, in terms of the information I wanted you to share. It's exactly what I wanted. Um. Just a, a personal question to you. Um, how do you look after yourself? Like, how, how have you found that with such a workload? So, you know, maybe give us a, a typical day or like, I know every human's different. Are you a very structured person? Like, uh, what does your own training look like? Do, do you struggle to get your own training in? How's your nutrition? How's your sleep? Like, just basically, what do you do for your own self-maintenance? Because it, 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 it is very demanding in your role. That's very interesting. That's a very interesting question. <laughs> And I'm going to be very honest here. Yeah, please no, because oh, we, I know we've spoken about this on the phone previously, and, yes. and it's, it's it's an area I've spoken repeatedly, repeatedly with so yeah. many of my friends and peers yeah. in sport, and it's just this concept of like looking after yourself, you know, because yeah. being involved in high level sport, be it at an academy level or with the first teams, you know, it's it's it can really. It, no, I'm going to use the word that Gary Schoenfield doesn't like, but it can really grind your body down if you don't put some sort of strategy in place to yes. to look after yourself and have a good self-maintenance plan in place. And and I mean that in every aspect of your life, not just the physical, but obviously the mental, emotional relationships that are around you and all that. Um, it's just an area that I'm very fascinated with, which is probably kind of funny because I'm young, or I'm not young, but I'm a bachelor I don't have a family, I don't have kids, I haven't worked in pro sport, but yeah, I feel like this is an area that I'm very passionate about. Again, it's probably because I have so many friends in it and I can just see that they get to a place of unhappiness within themselves and it just concerns me. That's all sometimes that some some coaches don't see that from the outside. They think, oh, pro sport must be just unbelievable, it must be brilliant. Yeah. Like, well, talk to some of those people and see. And, and at the same time, I don't want to... I don't want to come across like, oh, pro sport is just a grind and you don't see your family and that's just the way it is. Because I, I, I do know a few people who are in it who, who manage it very well. Yeah. They, they have a great balance to their life. And I'll, I'll let you answer in just one second. This is the only time I've ranted today. No, no, no. But, but one really good documentary I watched, I got real into the NFL last year and I was watching a, uh, a football life, loads of documentaries. 
And like, you know, nearly 99% of them were all like, you know, he was here till four in the morning, till midnight. Like, there was actually uh, Gibbs, the former Redskins head coach, Joe Gibbs, he used to sleep at the facility. Like, I just think things like that are ridiculous. So, he wouldn't, so he'd leave Monday, wouldn't come home till Friday, didn't see his family. Like, I hear those stories, I'm like, that's just scandalous. So this one documentary on Bruce Arias, who was, he's been at loads of uh, teams, collegiate and NFL, but he was the head coach of Arizona Cardinals when they were doing this documentary. And he was the only head coach that I saw in all the documentaries I watched. He said that if you were in the building longer than you should be, or he said, if I heard that you missed your kid's recital, I'll fire you. And like, because he was the only guy, like, to say, oh, he'd go off fishing and he'd go off and join something. So he had more balance about it. And yeah, he was yeah. still very successful. Yeah. Sorry, I, I went off on a rant there on my oh. own. But it's just, yeah, I'm very interested to hear how, how you manage your, yourself with such a demanding role. That's, um, that's a great question. Um, and that's not one that's asked. And I think that leads on to. Um, um, to go back to a podcast I done for Rob Pacey, where one of his questions was, "What advice would you give to a young coach, or what do you see as being the greatest challenge to young coaches?" For me, the greatest challenge, one of the greatest challenges for young coaches, is obviously employment, and you know, there's a lot more coaches and jobs at the moment. But a big part of it too is a bit of realism, and it, professional sport is a grind, and I don't think young coaches understand that, particularly at the top end, where they go, "Oh, I want to be in the Premier League." I want to work in the NBA. I want to work in the NFL. That's, by the way, the American sports, that's not a job. That's a vocation. Yeah. Anyone, anyone I talk to in American sports, um, like, oh my God, I, I couldn't be married in America, I don't think. I, I, I couldn't have a family. I, I just, maybe, maybe it's, I'm not saying um, it's wrong and those people don't enjoy it. It's just, the American sports are so demanding. Um, it's incredible. Um, football is demanding, five, six days a week, every week. How I manage that, I'll be honest with you. The past 12 months, I've been very bad uh, physically. Left myself go. Um, people will ask, well, Paddy, you're meant to be this top S&C coach, but you're out of shape. Um, I know my colleagues probably look at me and go, what's going on here? Because I'm currently looking after the under-18 to under-23 program. Um, I'm living in a country that's not my home country, in a city that's huge. Um, my wife um, moved over from my my purposes for my um, career. So, you know, along the way, two years ago, my mum sadly passed away very quickly, um, in which time I got married in a very short pace of time so that she could be at the wedding. All these things have added to, and I've been very open and honest here, Rob. Yeah. They've all added to this year in particular, me being really bad physically. Physically and mentally. Not very good at looking after myself this year. And I'm very self-aware of that. Um, I'm currently... Um, after writing myself a program for the first time in about six years, I've met an old friend of mine, um, two old friends of mine that I used to coach in University College Cork. One was an athlete, one was a rugby player, Gavin and Katie. So now a couple, lovely couple that I'm, I've got back in touch with here in, in London. And they've put, they've put the skids under me. Now Katie wants to see me competing in weightlifting again because um, back along I would have showed her the Olympic lifts and now she's competing in the British Championships, Irish Championships. Um, and now she's going, Paulie, come on, let's go. So she's after setting a fire under me to look after myself this coming year. So watch this space. Watch this space. Prior to that, this, this last year and last two years have been very difficult for me personally. And as a result, um, I could do maybe on a Monday, I could do four sessions. I could do five sessions on a Tuesday. If I've got rehab, you could end up doing six sessions. 
Now people will say, you, you jump in with the boys on that. I, I'm not a coach who jumps in on sessions with players. I just don't. I don't. Um, maybe one-on-one -on -one you can. Uh, for instance, I have an injured player who I took to the gym in the off-season this week. Uh, me and him met in a, just a gym near my house. It wasn't at the club gym, just for a session. And mm. I jumped in with him. In that case, fine. Um, for me, yeah, I, I've, I've, I've been bad the last two years, in particular the last two years. Um, since I moved to London, I found it stressful moving country. Um, some people do it very easy. I, I didn't for some reason, even though I've traveled quite a bit. I just found the pace of life here and getting set up and stuff. Uh, so the advice I would give people is have structure. I used to have structure. I've lost that structure in the last two years. I'm in, I'm probably one of the first in every morning. And when I go in, my colleagues that work in the same office as me, and I include Des, who's the head of a huge department, they're, they're all training. But for some reason, I'm not. And along the way, I've been going, what are you doing? What's going on? And I end up getting caught up in stuff that maybe I don't need to get caught up in. Do an admin that should have been done the night before or whatever. So I've lost that structure. Um, the people I work with have great structure. And that's what it is. It's structure. No matter what happens, no matter how busy your day is, they, they get... Uh, and it was Noel, um, one of the guys who works on the 20s, Noel, who's a friend of mine since I came here. He, he trains every morning, pretty much, um, whereas his colleague Sam trains every evening. Sam has the discipline to do it every evening after work. I'm going I'm to wait. Oh, I want to lift heavy after work. You get to the end of the day, you can't. Yeah. Noel says, I can't lift heavy after work because I'm too tired. Maybe I can't lift very heavy in the morning, but I do something in the morning. And he's built up an incredible, you know, amount of work across the year from every morning chipping away um, and he's got in great shape and he's, he's now you know doing lots of triathlons and things so I see Noel as having great structure Sam is having great structure the other guy I work with Dom has great structure I've just lost my structure and that's what it is it's pure it's structure going in and making that priority whereas when I go into the gym in the morning it's a performance center that I've helped design it's like my house really um, I'm responsible for the maintenance of it so when I go in in the morning and I'm picking up a barbell it's my own mindset. I'm looking around and I'm going, oh, that's broken, that needs to be fixed. Uh, that's dirty, that needs to be cleaned. And that, that's just a mindset. I need to get out of that. So I've lost my structure, I'll be honest, for various personal and professional reasons. And that's all it is. It is structure. Um, I see the first team staff in their training religiously. You know, they seem to have a routine. And that'll, that'll take time for me to build that routine again. I'm, Rob, I'm an all or nothing person to my detriment. Um, if I can't go in snatch clean back squat today I won't train I would never think of just going in warming up and maybe doing a few chin ups and an overhead press and getting something done so I'm thinking if I can't get a session done then I can't train which <laughs> if an athlete came to me and said oh party I've only got a half an hour I've got a driving test in half an hour and I go well you have to do a program I'd modify that program heavily so that that person got something done in a half an hour yeah. so it's just my all or nothing nature um, I'm either in or I'm out so that has to change, and uh, I'm struggling with that a little bit. Um, but I am a typical example of letting the job get in the way of, of, of personal and physical development, and that's my own fault. Uh, it's not the job, because there's guys in the building working more hours than me, Rob. They, they just stick to their structure, uh, and I keep using that word because it is. It's a plan, sticking to it. It, has, it doesn't have to be a big plan. Um, and along the way, you know, um, Along the way, you get you get in shape. So that's my goal for the coming years to get back into a structure where I'm practicing what I preach because that's the reason I got into strength and conditioning because I love lifting. 
I love playing football. That's so, nearly 99.9% of all of us. That's why we all everyone. get to... Yeah. Like, to be honest, listen, I'll be honest with you too. It, it's, it's one of the things that, like, I'm just unemployable because I have routines in my life that if I just don't get done on a daily basis, I'm not a nice human to be around. Like, I need my training. I'm a better human after I train. I like to have structure to my nutrition. And like, listen, I've spoken about why people do this. It's because there's so much uncertainty in our life in terms of like the biggest question every human has is like, what's after this life? Like death is the biggest question we all have. And to, 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 to fill that void or to, to kind of put that in the back of our minds, like, and I'm, I'm being very general here when I say it's about like, you know, people, us, like what we do is, we fill our life with habits that, that give us a sense of certainty. We use them as security blankets and they come in many forms. For some people, it's a religious belief. For some people, it's idea, ideological beliefs or buying into political belief systems. For other people, it's habits that they have on a daily basis, like their, their exercise routine, controlling their nutrition. Other people, it's cleaning. They just love to have a clean environment and they clean every day. Uh, other people like really it's 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 addictions we have certain addictions but when people hear the word addiction they automatically just think drink and drugs and like that's only one form of addiction like you can have cleaning addictions exercise addictions nutrition addictions uh schedule addictions like you're you're addicted to your schedule you know you're you ask that person could you help me out at 5 p.m like nope because uh, 5 p.m i do that every day and i need that certainty in my life yeah and like there's a balance there to that. You do need a little bit of organization, but within that there needs to be some bandwidth and adaptability because we know adaptable organisms are the ones that will last the longest and are usually the healthiest. But it's 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 adding uncertainty. And I know for me, body, like when um like that's kind of what holds me back in terms of maybe of going down professional sports, because I'm just like that just it do, it, it just it's not conducive to the lifestyle i like to lead which is like i like to have a lot of control over my daily schedule maybe to my detriment to a degree because i do fully understand listen we don't have control over so much stuff but i'm i'm, I'm one of these person people who's like control the controllables like yeah, funny, yeah. whenever i go traveling like let's say like if i was going down the country for a day or two like i'll literally bring a big like tray like like a a, a, a box of like just my, of just yeah, a crate that's what i was thinking of the word thank you very much a crate of like the food i'll have for next few days and some people are like you're yeah, mad yeah. Yeah. you're mad but i'm just like listen yeah. it decreases cognitive load like that's it's off my mind now so i can enjoy myself you don't have to worry about stopping exactly. getting something decent or making yeah, right all, choices it's all taken care of exactly it's now it's all done that's done food for the next day or two done doesn't have to uh, whereas other people be like oh what am i doing for what am i and like no there's no judgment to that that's just different people with different oh, priorities no, 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 no. But I'm the same. Listen, we, we all have our voices. We all, as the word I always say, is we all have our demons that we're wrestling with on a moment to moment basis. And yeah. Listen, I really appreciate you being honest there. And I suppose it. No, as I said, I'm like, I'm, it's a structure for me. When, when I was with Monster Rugby, um, I remember I was competing, um, not to a very high level, but I was lifting regularly, training regularly. And I was probably doing more hours than I am doing now. Yeah. Um, and I had, you know, a girlfriend at the time and, uh, like, I had a family. And, you know, it, it's it's. As I did, I've just lost my way a little bit, and I, I want—I don't mind saying that. And uh, that comes down to, to mental health stuff as well along the way. Obviously, mm. a, a big, big bereavement in the family two years ago, and lots of highs and lows around getting married. Very close to that because you know, I wanted my mum to be there. Not using that as an excuse, but I think I, I'm, I'm being open and honest and maybe a bit sentimental here, Rob, because mental health for me 
um, is huge. And it's something we all struggle with, particularly I struggle with. And people that know me mightn't think that because I'm outgoing and I'm personable and I'm always smiling. And But I will put everyone ahead of myself. Um, and that's yeah. my wife has struggled with that so much as in that she sees me broken and beaten down every day from trying to do too much for other people. And it's not the other people demanding on me. It's me trying to give too much. And yeah. that's not martyrs clap me on the back party. You're an amazing person. No, no, that's not the case. I just don't prioritize myself. I know. And yeah. that's a huge mistake. I can tell young coaches prioritize yourself. I, I think Rob, the balance you have is fantastic. And I wish I had a little bit more of that. When I say wish, I'm going to work harder mm. at getting a bit more of that balance because I have had it and it can be done. Um, and I think you're right. I like that, that, that the fact that you, you prioritize. And if you're doing this at five o'clock, you're doing this at five o'clock. Whereas I'll say, yeah, I'm going training at five o'clock. Someone might knock on the door in the office, go, have you got five minutes? Because they need to talk about something. But it's not that I, and then I'll prioritize that. Yeah. And I, I used to think it was lazy. I thought it was lazy. I'm Paul, are you lazy? Do you want to lift the barbell? It's not lazy. I think it's just prioritizing. Because, um, if I, wasn't, if I was lazy, I wouldn't be working 60 or 70 hours a week, would I? Potty, it's energy. Energy is yeah. a finite resource, and it's just where you're putting that energy to. So, yeah. you know? so that's really what it all comes down to, you know? It's yeah. just, it's just yeah, energy management. If you were to really break it all the way down to physics, that's really what it is. Like, yeah. you know? um, Fantastic. Yeah, thank you for your insight my, into that too. So. Yeah, I, re- I really appreciate your honesty there. I really do. This, we'll, we'll wrap up uh, with one or two more little questions if you have time. Um, what just I'm always fascinated what people are reading if you are reading anything what would be your top book recommendation and if you are reading what are you currently reading so uh, (laughs) it's interesting you say that Uh, I'm going uh, going away for two weeks holidays on um, Sunday so a lot of books Paul loaded of books. Um, Paulie don't read so good. I've said that earlier. Paulie don't read so <laughs> My wife Louise laughs at me, man. She could go through 10 novels in a, in a, in a week. She's incredible. Yeah, my mother loves books. She, she loves novels. Oh, yeah. stop. I love books, but reference books and from work, you're always reading journals and you're reading research. And you're, I, I've, for holidays, I'm reading um, The Organized Mind, which is uh, basically a behavior change book. Um, I've heard about that book. That's yeah. what I'm looking at. Um, I'm looking at Shoe Dog by Phil Knight, which is the story of Nike, Nike. and the Nike. Very good. And Very good. Um, again, sports books, but a little bit of self-help. I've just finished Ant Middleton's um, First Man In book. I'm not sure if you know of Ant Middleton from the TV program SAS, Are You Tough Enough? No, um, He's an ex-former um, Special Forces um, right. English Army. And he's currently on TV, uh, a couple of celebrity SAS programs. They run programs that are tough enough on, to make the SAS. All this. But it's his journey in life, and he talks about Brilliant. the ups and downs of his life and failing and not failing and mental health issues and ending up in jail. It's a fascinating read. Yeah. So that's Ant Middleton, first man in. Not, uh, I'd love to meet the guy, actually. I'm going to try and get him into the club. Brilliant. Um, just because he, he, just his whole insight into how he became what he is, dealing with lots of different things, personally and professionally. Yeah. Um, so yeah, a lot of, lot of not, I won't say self-help book, but a big reflective books on holidays. I do like a little bit of James Patterson, um, easy reading. Some of his detective books are very easy. Um, you go through a chapter a day in, in those things because uh, they suit me and my pace of reading. Um, as regards training books, I, I'm embarrassed to say high performance training for sport. 
Dan Luden. That's sitting on my shelf since the day it came out. Just so you know, you don't. I, I couldn't care less if you named the training book or not. I just want yeah. any any book. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. But that's one that's been sitting. Uh, when I buy a book, I love books. I like having books on everything. Uh, people that know me know I'm into carpentry, welding. I like. I love watches. The, the whole mechanical structure of how a watch is made. Wow, that's pretty cool. On different. Cool. Yeah, I've got I've got hundreds of books on different things of different interests. I'm like uh, Leonardo da Vinci with regards interest but not talent. Um, so yeah, I'm gonna look at. I, I want to look at that book. Because it's sitting on a shelf since the day I bought it. I think June 2014 is on. I, I date my books when I buy it. Um, so there, that's one of them. And then if I get through them in the two weeks, I'll be doing really well. And then it's going to be back to, I think, for mental health, for switching off, for you know turning down the volume of brain activity at nighttime, I'm going to start reading more, half an hour before I go to bed. It's such a simple thing. But that is, from a mental health point of view, uh, I've gone to lots of counselling for various things across the years. I think everyone should, not for grief and not for, you know, um, self-awareness uh, or anything like that. Just, I think the modern human has got so much to deal with and so yeah. much noise around their, their being, whether it's traffic, whether it's, you know, mobile phones going off every so often, having a work phone, two laptops. I think everyone should go for counselling to actually just learn to decompartmentalize and mental shelf stuff and put stuff in boxes and leave them. So but I, 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 I tell you, I tell you what, Paddy, you know, it's what, what I see counseling uh, as, uh, um, and I, I actually do see it becoming a, a much bigger part in people's lives. As we go forward. I just see it as brain training. So there was a great interview with a, a, a woman called a D And I actually had her on the OPEX podcast before She's a nutritionist. She's actually a weightlifter as well, a former weightlifter, very good weightlifter. But she was on a podcast on the Mind Muscle um, Project podcast. So the two Australian guys, um, and she said that like she goes to you know she goes to counselling like, and she was like I see counselling no different to like when I go to the gym, and she's like you know when I go to the gym people are like oh yeah you go to the gym because you know you're looking after your physical body, yeah. and then she goes but then when I say I go to a counsellor they go oh what's wrong and she yeah. goes. Nothing, nothing's wrong like that's like saying i go to the gym to you know to get in, like to keep myself healthy and in shape and people no one would ever say to you no what's wrong when you say you're going to the gym so she's like i go counseling because it's it's a preventative measure it's it's from it's the it's for mental health whereas gym is for physical health well gym's also for mental health too you know i yeah, I, yeah, yeah. I call i call the gym my church like you know yeah, like, I, get a lot of, I get a lot of thinking and meditating done in between sets even during sets sometimes <laughs> I was like, I should be yeah. focusing on this deadlift. But uh but I, I thought that was a great point by her. And I yeah. see I see that mindset shift where people won't see counseling as this sort of, you know, reactionary process. It's more nearly of a of a proactive process. Yeah. You know, like, oh yeah, today uh, like Tuesday, Friday, I go see my counselor, you know, where and like, you know, Monday like Monday, Wednesday, Friday, that's where I go see my personal trainer and yeah. Tuesday, Thursday now is you know, my, my off days I go to my counselor for my mental training or whatever. So I, I see that like it's just, it's just brain training, you know? Absolutely. I totally agree. Um obviously back along I, I've been to several uh, for many different things and for me it's often I end up just decompartmental and destructuring my day to yeah. give me clarity around uh, around uh, I, I, around work and around life and I think you're right I think it's spot on um, that's something we all should do uh, you've only one year left on earth 
Now you're not you you're you're not dying. You're oh. I, I, the the way I pose this question is you're getting on the Starship Enterprise, but it's a one way ticket. It's like listen, yeah. you're gonna explore the stars here, but we can't come back to Earth. Now your partner can come with you. Yeah. Well, how would you spend your final year on Earth before you took Traveling. off? Earth? Traveling. Yeah. I'd take every penny I have and I'd take my family and those closest to me traveling. Sweet. I'd go all around the world and meet different people. That's, that's what I do. Yeah. Paddy, how do you learn? What's your learning process? I learn by doing. Um, I'll read and get an idea around something, but you have to show me. I, I learn best by showing. Show me. Show me. Yeah, definitely by doing. I'm very practical in that respect. Um, the guys at work actually... <laughs> the guys in the office mock me over on my Excel, Microsoft Excel. I don't. I'm not really strong on it. I'll. I can use it uh, to a level. But like, we're in. The, we're in the same club, bud. Some of the boys. Oh, stop. Some of the boys in, in like uh, Noel and Sandbear and Dominic that I work with and Nav are a GPS guy. Some of the some of the, the uh, dashboards they put together and monitoring sheets are incredible and complex. And I I'm actually reading a book on Microsoft Excel for trending condition coaches at the moment to get better at it. But like Noel, Noel, the guy I work with, had a laugh because I go, Noel, how, how do I do this? And unless he showed me, he, he won't tell me. I'll show just, you later. I haven't time to show you. Just, just watch show the, video, the videos. Just watch those videos on YouTube. You know, just watch the videos I've watched. And I go, there's no point showing me a video. Come and show me how to do it. That's how I learn is, is really by doing. Yeah. yeah. I'm very much probably like a, the 10-year-old footballer there. Yeah. M- Miladin Janovic, he has, um, I'm trying to think, what's the guy's name from you? Is it XL Tricks for Sports? Is that his name? Yeah, that's it. I have um, John, a copy John, yeah. John, his, okay, his surname is, is escaping me. But, uh, I have it here in front of me. There's a guy called, there's one here. It's the Strength and Conditioning's Coach's Guide to Microsoft Excel by Steve Olson. That's Steve Olson. He, he's very good too, but then there's, there's XL Tricks, Tricks for Sports. And his name is John, his surname's great. I think he's, he, he's from New Zealand, I think New Zealand. But he, Maladin has his whole course on his website for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah I see. But, uh, it's very, very good. I'll, I'll put that in the show notes anyway. Yeah. Um, last one for you. Yeah. I'm over in London and I say, Paddy, listen, you're a fucking, uh, after this almost two-hour conversation, I can tell you're an absolute <laughs> quality human being. So you're definitely, oh, I don't know about that. You're, you're definitely someone I want to spend some more time with. But I'm over in London and I say, Paddy, I want to take you for dinner. Yeah. And you and your you and your wife want to take you for dinner and you can bring five people to this dinner. They can be dead or alive. Who would you bring to this dinner and why? Can they be famous? They can be anyone. They can be dead, alive, famous, they can be a fictional character, anyone. Uh my mum, because it'd be great to see her again, but she's an absolute character. She okay. could she can hold a room with rich and famous or she's she'd bring um I think I'd like to bring Morgan Freeman. Oh, that's a nice I just one. Think, I just think he oozes sincerity and um, just, I think the conversation would be incredible. I don't think anyone's ever given Morgan Freeman. That's, uh, and I do uh, like Morgan Freeman. Yeah, good one. I, I like him as an actor, but I just think I've seen him being interviewed a few times. He just oozes. He's like a guy who was here before in a former life, maybe. Yeah. I know or David Attenborough would have to be in there. Oh, very good. Um, I think um, Graham Norton. Nice. Just for a bit of, bit of banter, shits and gigs. I think he's... But man, I tell you what with Graham Norton, you know, f- just think of what he's made of himself. Incredible. From where he's come. Like, you Incredible. know, to be a gay Irishman 
yeah. from where from the parts of Ireland where he's from and what he's built himself to like amazing like amazing absolutely. probably learned so much from him yeah absolutely incredible incredible and I think um Da Vinci Leonardo Da Vinci yeah um if we could bring one back because I just think um as I said I'm into all things mechanical I'm into I grew up welding and fixing tractors with my uncles and machinery and I think um, he was just so far ahead of his time in regards understanding Absolutely. every everything, everything, physical organizing, physical organism, the mechanical organism, and everything in between. I just think it'd be interesting just to sit with him and kind of gauge where, <laughs> what he thinks and where it's at of the modern world. Imagine him now dropped into um, dynorama and shortage. I'd love to see what he thinks of that now. And see <laughs> what he thinks of the modern world and these mechanical cars going past us and uh, I know that sounds very philosophical but I think that's my five is it my mother my mom yeah. Freeman uh, Attenborough and Graham Norton great stuff great that's, stuff that's a comprehensive list <laughs> alright bro that was a phenomenal conversation thank you so much oh, and, thank, uh, you. thank you for having me and uh, again trying to be open and honest and oh man listen uh, and I have a whatever I don't care be honest but I've a ton more questions to ask you and so I definitely would love to get you back on anytime you want honestly I love doing this so just no go I'm just I'm just going to wrap up here so I am for the listeners but listen um, yeah anyway let's just go on here so we could but for (laughs) for everyone listening Paddy where where can they actually contact you if if they're looking to get in touch um, you can email me directly at my work email, proach at arsenal.co.uk. So that's P-R-O-C-H-E Sweet. at arsenal.co.uk. Um, my Twitter handle is coach underscore roach underscore. Um, I'm on Twitter a little bit. Just I like, I like retweeting papers and stuff that are of interest out there. I don't post much stuff myself. Um, you can message me there. Uh, as I said in a previous podcast, like I'll, I'll get back to you as soon as I can. And I'm sorry. I've had so many uh, listeners, and which is brilliant, young coaches and old experienced coaches wanting to touch base, and I've been very hard to get to, and I apologize for that. But just, get, will, just, if, just get an email okay. autoresponder and have it say, I'm putting myself first. <laughs> Sorry, I'm in the gym. I'm getting huge. <laughs> yeah, but I will, I will get back to you as soon as I can. Uh, mm-hmm. Not over Very the next so. two weeks. So I'll be on holidays reading, hopefully get through one of the books I just mentioned. Paddy, you're an absolute gent, and just before I wrap up here, I want to say I truly appreciate you know you taking the time today, and I just truly appreciate you as a human. Thank you so Thank much you. for Thank this conversation. Today. Me, Thank you. Anytime, but so for all the listeners, what an unreal conversation with Paddy Roche, and for anyone that would love to reach out to him, do but give him some time. <laughs> Schedule's busy, so but for now, as I always say, take care, be well, and stay strong. Mm-hmm.